0: From around the world, this is the Mutual Audio Network.
1: The following audio drama is rated G for general audiences.
2: How do I? I'll skip ahead of... bit. No, I can't skip ahead. All, All right, everybody, into the time machine.
1: Hey, what's there? Wait a minute! Wait a minute. Get... No, can't. no! No! no. You don't understand how radio works. All I have to do to return
3: is fade my voice out like
1: this and you, the organist.
3: And you see, here we are.
1: Wait a minute. 63 Audio presents the Old Time Radio Essentials Podcast.
4: Hi, everybody. Welcome to Old Time Radio Essentials. If this is your first time joining us, I must inform you that this is Episode 11. My name is Pete. This is Paul. And I'm David. I'll get to the purpose of our show in just a moment. But first, dear listeners, I wonder if you noticed something unusual just now. Did you? In fact, Paul, did you notice something different just now in our introductions? Huh? What? Never mind, Paul. I imagine you have other things on your mind. Well, to point out the obvious, friends, you heard the voice of our new co-host, David. David is stepping into the shoes of Jane, who decided to pursue greener pastures. Welcome, David. And how do those
5: shoes feel? They're pretty tight. Can I take them off now?
4: In just a moment, in just a moment. First, I'd like you to tell our listeners the purpose of this program. I know it's a big ask, this being your debut, but I know you can do it.
5: Wow, this is exciting. Uh, Thank you for trusting me. Think nothing of it. Here it goes. The purpose of our show is to present specific episodes of our favorite old-time radio series, Episodes that stand out as particularly representative of those series or as one of those quotable episodes that fans of old radio like to discuss, either in person or on social media.
4: We'll open each episode by introducing the selection, describing it briefly, and then we'll play it for you. Then we'll come back at the end and discuss it at length, each of us giving their opinions on its merit, its performances, or anything that stands out for
3: us. And that's exactly what we're presenting to you. Just our opinions on whether or not it's worthy of a place in every old-time radio aficionado's personal collection. You don't have to agree with us. And, in fact, we may not agree with each other. But we do hope you'll enjoy what we bring to the table and come back for more.
4: Each of us three will take turns selecting a show for discussion. Last month's choice was Jane's, and that was an episode of the Avid and Costello program, in case you didn't hear it. And it was Jane's last choice, in fact. This month, we come around again to Paul, and what do you have for us, Paul? Wait up, Paul. Paul. David, David, what's the matter?
5: Can I take these shoes off now?
4: You're still wearing them? (sighs) Go ahead, Paul.
3: Okay. Uh, This time... uh, This time, I'm bringing up an episode of X -X 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 Minus One. How do I make my voice do this? It's called Sea Shoot, and it was written by Isaac Asimov. X-1 is an American half-hour science fiction radio drama series that broadcast from April 24th, 1955 to January 9th, 1958 in various time slots on NBC. Known for high production values and adapting stories from the leading American authors of the era, X-1 has been described as one of the finest offerings of American radio drama and one of the best science fiction series in any medium. Initially a revival of NBC's Dimension X, 1950-51, the first 15 episodes of X-1 were new versions of Dimension X episodes, but the remainder were adaptations by NBC staff writers. The rest were newly published science fiction stories by leading writers in the field, including isaac esimov ray bradbury philip k dick robert Heinlein, and frederick Poole. and so without further delay we present Sea shoot by isaac esimov from february 8th 1956
1: and x minus
6: one how does he make his voice do that
5: and now friends adjust your radio dials to the proper frequency get comfortable and listen
7: forward into the past!
8: yeah i hope he gets back before all this dry ice melts
2: and i'll stay tuned for x minus 1 on nbc <laughs>
0: Countdown for blastoff, X minus 5, 4, 3, 2, X minus 1, fire. Tonight's story, The Sea Shoot, by Isaac Asimov.
2: We were on our way home to Earth when it happened. Six of us, coming home as passengers, aboard the merchant spaceship Starfire. At the start of the Second Interstellar War, the one between Earth and the planet Chloro, and then it happened. Now hear this. Condition red. Condition red. We are under attack from a Chloran cruiser. All hands forward to battle stations. Passengers will remain confined to the after cabin. Condition red. We are being attacked. The interception by the Chloran cruiser, the murderous running jewel of energy blasts and force field defenses. <laughs> We huddled in the passenger's after cabin, terrified, not knowing how the battle was going. We could hear the desperate bursts of steam through the steering tubes as the Starfire maneuvered to dodge the enemy attacks. And then...
8: Now what? Uh, The beginning of the end, you might call it. What does it mean, Stuart? You were a space pilot? It means
2: our generators have been drained of energy. We can't fight back. But, Monsieur, All right, don't worry. We... They won't destroy us. They need our ship too badly. They'll simply board us and take over. But what about the crew? The crew, Colonel? If they have any sense, they'll surrender. If they choose to fight, they'll... Now they're coming aboard. Now be very still. Oh, mother in heaven, help us. be still? If only those fools on deck will surrender without a struggle. They are fighting. Yes, it's the end. We've got to help them. All right, don't open that door. We just can't
6: let them down. You can't help. Them.
8: I'm going. Ariste- Stop him.
6: Ah! All right. Aristide. Shut the door quickly. Aristide. My brother. That poor fool. i get them. My brother, I swear to God. Get them. Yeah, you better cover his body. They're
2: brutes. The monstrous, green-skinned brutes. They're no more brutes than we are, Colonel. This is a war. Are you defending them? I'm merely pointing out the facts.
6: I ought to strangle you. Why not
2: save it for the chloros? Thing? I will. I promise you I will. Well, they're probably deciding right now what to do with us. We might as well settle down and wait. We sat there, the five of us and listened while the Chloran invaders killed off the members of the Starfire's crew. Among us was Colonel Anthony Wyndham, an old Colonel Blimp type with a lame leg. Wyndham had spent his life in the militia back on Earth, but had never seen a battle. There was Demetrius Polyarkitis, who had just watched his brother being killed by a chlorocarbonizer. Poly was a huge man. He and his brother had tried truck farming in Arcturus and given it up after two seasons. Then there was LeBlanc, a sensitive, frightened young man of 22. And Randolph Mullen, who looked like somebody's caricature of a bookkeeper. A mild, balding, milk toast little man. And there was myself, John Stewart. I was the only one who'd ever had contact with the Chloro people. I had a pair of artoplasm hands to prove it. It is
6: quiet now.
2: Yeah, they have finished with the crew. Mr. Stewart? Yes, Mr. Mullen. What do you think will happen next? Well, they'll put a prize crew of two aboard and take us to one of their home planets as prisoners of war. Only two of the Chloros will stay aboard. Two is all they'll need. (laughs) Why, Colonel? You're thinking of leading a gallant raid to retake the ship? Simply a point of information, Dasher. Then let me give you another point of information. If you want to commit suicide quick, just open that bulkhead door. Three steps inside, you'd fall on your face. But why? Don't you smell anything, LeBlanc? Get close to the door.
6: It smells like gas.
2: It is gas. Chlorine gas. They breathe it like we breathe oxygen. They've chlorinated the whole crew's compartment. One big whiff of that and we'd all be dead. So just forget
8: about rushing the chloros. How do you know so much about their habits, Stuart? I lived
2: on a chloro planet for six months. You see these hands? They were mangled in the oxygenating machinery of my own quarters. They grew these... Artoplasm things and operated. They're weak, but at least I have hands again.
8: Monsieur Stewart. Yeah. Will they. will they kill
2: us?
6: No. Why do you say that?
2: Because, in their own way, they're gentlemen. Probably we'll be interned
6: for the duration. You call them gentlemen. After they kill my brother in cold blood, you call them gentlemen.
8: You know, Stewart. You sound more and more like a blasted, greeny sympathizer. Blasted man, where's your patriotism and loyalty? My
6: loyalty is where it
2: belongs, with honesty and decency, regardless of the shape of the being it appears in. This is a ridiculous war. Why are we fighting these people? We can live only on planets with oxygen, and oxygen is poison to them. They can live only in chlorine atmosphere, which is deadly to us. Yet we're fighting them over a bunch of worthless asteroids that neither of us can live on comfortably. Well, it's it's
8: a matter of
6: principle. It's a matter of stupid pride and greed. I don't like what you say, mister. Why not? Because you talk too nice about these greeny scum. They're good to you, eh? Well, they weren't good to my brother. They killed him. And I think maybe I'll kill you, you rotten right, greeny right, scum. Sp- holy! Hold on, my... on,
1: grab him. I
8: can't break his hold. They are coming in. Holy, let him go.
6: They saved your life this time. When I'm finish with them. what? I think
8: they're opening the lock.
6: They'll don't get between us. Holy.
8: Don't lose your head. They'll kill us all.
6: I greet you, earthmen.
2: The chloro was not a pleasant sight to anyone unused to it. He was about the height of an Earthman, but the top of him was just a green stalk with eyes. He was still wearing a spacesuit to protect him from the oxygen in our compartment. In one of his tendrils, he carried a chloran gun. As he stood in the doorway, I could see Polyarchete's eyes begin to glisten with rage. Then, with a bellow like a huge bull, he threw himself at the chloro.
3: He is not dead. Merely, temporarily paralyzed
1: you five will remain together as prisoners of war we expect to reach our own planet within several weeks your time there you'll be interned for the duration of the war if any of you attempts to leave this compartment we shall be forced to destroy you that is all i have to communicate
7: We better do something for Mr. Polly Archites?
2: Oh, he'll be all right. Just hoist him up in the cot. Yes. That's it. Hi, Polly, Can you hear me? You stupid brute?
6: His voice is coming back.
2: Yeah. Now I know what's going on in that thick skull of yours, Polly. <laughs> you think that when the paralysis wears off, you'll ease your feelings <laughs> by slamming me around some more. Well, if you do, it'll be curtains for all of us. How do you mean, sir? None of you know the Chloros the way I do. Unlike us, they assume automatically that any group of Earthmen they find together comprises a biological grouping, like an ant colony. The result is that they consider the group as something, well, something holy. Now, they'd never break us up. And if one of us did any harm to another, they'd have us all executed as a bunch of chlorotype perverts, a non-functioning group. So call all the names you want. But keep your hands to yourself, or we're finished. My little speech had a sobering effect on the group. For the next 24 hours, we did little besides eat our rations and think. I tried to evaluate them. The colonel I had figured for an old windbag. Poliarkitis was a hate-filled brute. LeBlanc would crack first. It was like a frightened child. Mullen? Mullen was a non entity, a mouse instead of a man. Everything he did seemed prissyish. His voice had the quality of furtively rustling underbrush.
7: How long did you say the trip would
8: take, Mr. Stewart? Well, the said about two weeks. Gentlemen, uh, if I may interrupt. Colonel? Now, it has occurred to me that perhaps you know of some. Some weakness that might enable us to overcome these chloros.
2: The only weakness they've got is that they can't stand oxygen. Oh,
8: but there must be some way to get the best of the man. After all, there are only two... Before
2: I answer, Colonel, I have to know your motive. Is it to save your own skin
8: or help Earth win the war? Oh, dash it, man, to help our side, of course. What we're looking for is the way to save the ship for Earth without losing our lives, yes? Well, all right, let's take a vote, then. Leblanc. I have a wife waiting on
6: Earth,
7: Mr. Stewart. I do not want to die.
2: Uh-huh. Hero number one. What about
6: you, Mullen?
7: I don't see how we could accomplish it without... uh uh-huh.
6: Hero number two. Well, Paul Yarkitis? When I kill Glorus, it will be with my bare hands. On their planet, I will kill dozens, I promise you. Uh-huh. Three down. Well, Colonel,
2: don't you want to march to glory, an old militia man like you? Your
8: attitude is very cynical and unbecoming, Stewart. I
2: see. Well, then I'll have to blow the ship up myself. Stuart! Don't worry, Colonel. I don't intend to be a dead hero.
7: Of course, there is a way we might do it. What did you say, Mr. Mullen? There's a spacesuit and magnetic boots stored in that locker over there. We might be able to reach the control room from the outside of the ship. The outside? But how would we get outside? If this compartment has a sea chute, it must. Uh, What is a a, a sea chute?
2: A sea chute, my boy, is a casualty chute. It doesn't get talked about much, but all the main compartments have them. They're just little airlocks down which you slide a corpse, burial in space.
8: Oh, Blasted Mullen, Uh, suppose you did get outside. How could you re-enter the ship? Uh, Through the steam tubes, the ones they use to guide the ship. Wait a minute, Mullen, what do you know about steam
2: tubes? I thought you were a bookkeeper.
7: Well... On Arcturus, I got interested in spaceship models. I, I studied all about them. On my own time, of course. Yeah, yeah, naturally. At, at any rate, I learned that the steam tubes have an access vent directly to the control room for repairs and, and so forth. <laughs> and the Chloros, they are in the control room.
8: Uh, what do you think, Stuart?
7: Well, it's a video sort
2: of idea, but it might just work. We could get permission from the Chloros to open the sea chute and bury Paulie's brother. And one of us could slip into it, work forward, and climb up through the steam tube. The question being, which one?
6: What about you? You with your loud talk and your sneers. I'm no hero, Paulie. I've already said that.
2: My object is to stay alive. The steam tube let go while you were in it, you'd be broiled like a
8: lobster. Now,
2: how about the colonel here?
8: If I were younger, blasted, I'd trounce you. You know very well with my injured leg. Yeah, of course. Not to mention my artificial
6: hands.
2: Well, now, what unfortunate deformities do the rest
6: of us have? Polly? You just keep talking, Mr. Bigmouth, and pretty soon we'll kick your teeth in.
2: Of course. That's your standard reply to everything, isn't it? LeBlanc, will you do it? I... I cannot. Not even to get back to Denise? Please, I I cannot... LeBlanc
7: needn't go. I'll do it.
2: What? After all, it is my idea. Wait a minute. Are you serious, Mullen? Yes.
7: Well, how... I don't understand. Why? Why you? Well, it, it seems no one else will do it.
8: But that's no reason, man.
7: I can't think of any
8: other. Uh, look here. Do you really intend to go through with it, sir? Yes, I suppose I do. Well, dash it, man. Let me shake your hand. You, you're, you're an earthman by heaven. You do this thing and win or die. I'll bear witness for you. <laughs>
2: It was quite a moment. Mullen the mouse had suddenly turned into a man. He just stood there awkwardly while the colonel puffed his hand. Pogliokitis seemed stunned. LeBlanc was wide-eyed. And I? Well, I was in a peculiar position, one in which I rarely found myself. I had absolutely nothing to say. That ought to bring them. I hear one. is it One member of our unit is dead, as you know. We request permission to jettison his body out of the casualty chute. You may do so. You'll have to open the chute lock from the control room. I will do so. Is there anything else? No. Nothing else. Thank you. All right, come on now. We'll have to work fast. Mullen, get into a spacesuit from the emergency locker. Holy, help mom with those magnetic boots. How hurry
7: I'm working as fast as I can. The arm,
2: there. All right, give me the helmet. The helmet? Okay. Now, Mullen. Better scratch your nose if you have to It's your last chance for a while. What about radio uh, contact? You can talk to us. We'll listen in on the helmet set in one of the other suits.
8: The Chloros won't have their set on the interphone frequency. Wait a moment. What for? Does it, what's he going to use for a weapon? He isn't big enough to fight them barehanded.
2: No, oh, no, that's true. Well, how about one of those oxygen cylinders? Good idea. Use it to bash them over the head. Now, yeah, give him one of the cylinders equipped with a reducing valve. Now, look, Mullen. If your magnetic boots fail and you start drifting away into space, open this valve. Mm. See that? You can use it like a miniature jet and try to blow yourself back to the ship. Understand?
7: Uh, I think so.
2: Well, I only hope it works. All right, here goes the helmet. You'd better hurry. The light is on over the sea chute. Yeah. All right. That means I've opened the lock. Here. <laughs> now, can you hear me? Oh, okay. LeBlanc, give me that other space helmet. Yes, here. Let me switch on the radio. Can you hear me, Mullen?
7: I hear you.
2: Fine. Plenty of air? Air's okay. Uh-huh. Polly, open the sea chute. Okay, now help him in. All ready? Ready. Well, good luck. Close the chute. Pulley ejector, valve. Now. He's out. Oh, God help him. The light is out. Yeah. The chloros
8: have closed the chute lock. I... I don't suppose he has much of a chance. No. Do you think... Uh, do you think he knew it? I don't know. I just don't know. Should I, I, I try to contact him on the radio?
2: Yes, I think... Wait a minute. What is it? Listen, the chloro's coming.
8: Good Lord. He shot a Miss Mullen. Yeah,
2: Polly, Get your brother's body on the cot. Put a blanket over it. Pretend it's Mullen asleep. Pull me for heaven's sake. My brother... Right, you've got to do it, man. It's our only chance. Listen, if Mullen could go out there and discuss... Very well. His...
6: I will do it.
1: Earthmen. Yes. You have jettisoned the body? Yes. Good. Is there
3: something further we
2: can do? No, I... We are very tired. Our grief is very great at losing one of our unit. We would like to rest alone.
3: I will respect
2: your wishes.
3: I see that one of your unit sleeps already.
2: Yes, yes, Mr. Mullen was overcome with grief. I leave you. Oh, brother.
6: Polly! I thought sure you were going to rush him. With that brave little guy out there, what do you think I am anyway? And to think I laughed at him it makes me ashamed. Yeah, I guess. I guess I've been
2: saying some things that maybe weren't too funny. I owe all of you an apology. <clears throat> Do you think it's safe to try the radio? Yeah, we better. Hello? Hello, Mullen. Can you hear me?
7: Yes, I, I hear you. Where are you? I'm standing on the outside of the ship.
2: All right, now take care. One misstep and you'll be marooned in space. Now, can you find the steam tubes?
7: I think I've found one of them already. I can feel the rim. I just hope it doesn't let go when
0: I get inside. Be careful.
7: I'm going into the tube now. I can feel the ladder rungs I used to repair the inside. Yeah, well, keep
8: in contact.
7: I'm in the tube now.
8: Good Lord. They've let go with a blast.
2: Oh Well, it may be the starboard tubes. Mullen, Mullen!
7: Still here. They use the other tubes, fortunately. Now, if they don't try to correct for
2: over-deflection... Yeah, keep
7: moving. I seem to be... Wait. Yes, yeah, I'm at the end of the tube now, where it opens into the control room. Good, good. Now, look, there's a small
2: metal door there. Can you feel it?
7: Yes, I... Uh, I'm afraid it's locked from the other side. Oh. I can't budge it.
2: Mullen! Well, and listen to me. Stuart, I'm scared. I'm terribly scared. All right, all right. Now, hang on. Don't blow up. Listen to me. Are you listening? Yes. Take the spare oxygen tank. Bang on the metal door that leads to the control room. The chloros are bound to hear you. When one of them comes to investigate, try to hit him with a cylinder. Now, aim for the stalk on top of his body. Try to blind him. Will you do that? I. I'll try. Well, now, go on. Only one can come. The other will stay at the controls. Now start banging. Any luck?
7: No, I... Wait, I... I hear something. Something's opening the lock. The door now.
2: I hear... Mullen! Mullen, what happened? Mullen, can you hear me?
6: Mullen! (laughs) Mullen!
2: Mullen! Mullen!
6: Oh, it's no use. They must have gotten him. Yeah, he was one brave little guy, that one.
8: But suppose they have just got him in the control room. I mean, maybe he is not dead. Well? Well, then
2: maybe one of us could rush them. We could bang on the door and jump the chloro. Well, the first guy would be a cinch to die. Well, I. I would be willing to take the chance. You?
8: Why not? I could try... Thank you. I'm the strongest. I do it. Now, listen. Listen, you chaps. I'm an old man. I've got nothing to live for anyway. Suppose I throw myself at the ray gun. Wait a minute. What's going on here? Twenty minutes ago, there wasn't one of you who'd
2: risk his little finger to get us out of here. Now you're falling all over each other.
6: Maybe Mr. Mullen teaches us a lesson, huh?
2: Yeah. Okay, Polly, give me the wrench. I'll start banging on the door. They say that selflessness is contagious. I guess maybe it is. I'd been a cynic all my life, a man who believed in nothing. Well, I'd come face to face with four human beings who proved that I'd been living a lie. I knew what I was going to do now. When the Chloro came to investigate our compartment, I had it all planned. If only my poor, weak hands would hold out long enough.
6: Ready? ready.
2: Ready. Here goes... That should bring him. Try again. Wait, wait, listen. Shh.
8: It's at the door. Get ready. It's opening the lock. For poor old Mullen now. Uh, Steady. No! Let him have it!
6: Wait, stop it! Uh, It's not the door! Wait!
8: Good Lord, it's Mullen.
6: Get, Get the helmet off. That's it. All right,
2: now lift.
8: Mullen,
7: Wellen, are you all right? I, I seem to be quite all right. Well, the chloros. Both dead. At least I hope so. Well, what happened? Well, I banged on the a steam tube hatch and a chloro opened it. Yeah? I hit him with a cylinder. It blinded him, I, I guess, but didn't kill him. He grabbed me and pulled me into the cabin. In the struggle, he broke my transmitter. That, that's why I couldn't talk to you. Finally, I managed to, to club him down. Well, what about the other one? The other one almost got me. It must have heard the scuffle and came into the cabin with a ray gun. What I did, I I guess, was pure reflex. The cabin atmosphere was chlorine, of course, and the greenie didn't have a spacesuit on. Uh So I just turned on the oxygen valve in that spare tube. It was like spraying an insect with poison.
2: Well, you're a brave man, Mullen. I'd have been scared to death. I... I, (laughs) Mullen, what is it? (laughs) Mullen. An hour later, false hands and all, I was at the controls of the ship headed for Earth. We'd gotten rid of the chlorinating equipment and restored the oxygen naturally. Mullen was asleep in the cabin under a sedative. Or so I thought until the cabin door opened. Mullen, for Pete's sake, get back to bed.
7: No, I'm quite all right now, really. Do you mind if I watch how you operate the ship? No, no, not at all. Sit down. You know, I guess uh, I
2: owe you an apology. I didn't think too much of you. That's your privilege. (laughs) No, it isn't anybody's privilege, Mullen, to despise another. For years now, I've abandoned hope of finding any decency in human
7: beings. I owe you a vote of thanks. You embarrass me, Mr. Stewart. I I didn't do it for any heroic reasons, I assure you. Far from it. Why did you do it, Mullen? That puzzles me very much. Well, Mr. Stewart, I'm a bookkeeper. Seventeen years ago, I left Earth to work on Arcturus. I never made much impression on anybody on Earth, although I wanted very much to have people like me. Well, about a year ago, I started to write to my family again. Don't ask me why. And then I asked for a leave of absence to go home after 17 years.
2: Well, I still don't understand. It wasn't patriotism or
7: love of a woman or money or any of those things. What was it? Mr. Stewart, haven't you ever been homesick?
0: You have just heard X-1, presented by the National Broadcasting Company in cooperation with Galaxy Science Fiction Magazine which this month features A Gun for Dinosaur by L. Sprague de Camp. A story of hunters in the bloodiest and most ferocious arena of all prehistoric Earth, where hunting reptile heavyweights is no job for human lightweights. Galaxy Magazine, on your newsstand today. Tonight, by transcription, X-1 has brought you The Sea Shoot, a story from the pages of Galaxy written by Isaac Asimov and adapted for radio by George Leppard. Featured in the cast were Lyle Sudrow, Stan Early, Bob Hastings, Mercer McLeod, Danny Ockel, and John Gibson. Your announcer, Bill McCord. X-Minus One was directed by Daniel Sutter and is an NBC Radio Network production.
5: That was an episode of X 1 called Sea Shoot, originally broadcast February 8th, 1956 on NBC. Paul, this was your selection for this installment. What made you choose it?
3: Well, we haven't really delved into the sci fi. We've been doing the mystery, the scary stuff, the comedy, and that. So I just wanted to cover the sci fi. And I figured, what better than X 1? And out of the X 1, what better than something written by Isaac Asimov? <laughs>
4: Excellent. Yeah, it was a good choice, Paul. I was uh, wrapped up the whole time. It was a good show. Good selection. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I
3: picked it uh, because, you know, I wanted science fiction. I wanted Isaac Asimov. And I hadn't heard it up until then. And so I listened to it before I decided to make it my selection. It's like, ah, yeah, this is a good choice. I mean, the sound quality is really well. I mean, I know that you can get a lot of them when you hear them on the Internet they sound like junk because the copy of it is bad, but you can also tell when there is good production value to the thing in the first place. Kind of like the very first one we did with uh, the treasure Island. Yeah. That one was just amazing, you know, and this was, it wasn't as big of a setup as treasure Island, but for the group, they had the sound quality was really well done. The voice acting was really good. The, 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 sound effects were really good. It all made you buy into it better. And with the writing of Asimov, you can tell, you know, this is like the early days of science fiction, but it was nice getting a little bit of science into it. You know, like somebody who actually kind of knows a bit of what they're talking about, instead of somebody who goes, I just need a script
1: for Friday, (laughs) you know,
3: just writing anything down. And so you can, it really shows in the show itself that he, had an idea of what he wanted to talk about, what he, he knew, what he was talking about and also how he wanted to represent things. And I just thought it was overall, it was a well-balanced, well-done episode.
4: Yeah, I agree. You can imagine uh, he probably sketched out or came up with the plans for this particular uh, rocket ship, you know, with the shoot, the sea shoot, yeah. uh the, the steam lines the crew oh,
3: interesting
4: all, all of that stuff was just fascinating um and and you can picture it in your mind it, the way yeah. the way it came out. the whole thing was intense from start to finish the uh the guy who was the character and the narrator uh it was an excellent choice to do it that way instead of having a third person narrator. Uh right. he's telling the story. He's got his own problems because he's got these uh artificial hands uh that and he got them because he was on an enemy planet. Chlora. Chloro or whatever it was, and yeah, and, yeah. and he lost his hands in an oxygen generating machine. <laughs> Crazy stuff. All of the from from start to finish. And David, feel free to jump
5: in anytime. It's Yeah. What do you think? So um I was if I'm being honest, I was a little uh hesitant going in. I I had an uncle growing up who who foisted uh the foundation trilogy upon me. I don't know if either of you guys ever read those books and I knew I even a guy, a...
4: I know a guy who used those books to build a house, yeah. <laughs>
5: <laughs> well it's only three. i unlike wow. uh you know Frank Herbert's Dune or you know other series I can mention, it's actually a pretty Relatively contained series. My issue um, with them was just I they bored me to tears if I'm being honest and I was really worried because I had never read any of Isaac Asimov's short fiction and I thought, gee whiz, if this is anything as uh as dry and just slow as the Foundation trilogy, I don't know if I'm gonna like this. But I figured being X minus one, that wasn't likely. These are short adventure stories by and large. And once I was a few minutes into this, I realized this is going to be kind of a, a taut little thriller. And um, I really enjoyed the fact that uh, that I think his name was Mullins or Mullen ended up being kind of the hero. He was um,
4: the little mousey guy, well, the milk toast. Yeah,
5: he he you was very milk-tose. much he, he was sort of the demure figure for most of the story. And then he kind of steps up and becomes the hero. I thought that was a nice, uh, a nice twist.
4: Mm hmm. Very much so. All of the characters were, were so different. That's what I like about this story as well. There wasn't a single person who could be confused with another character. Um, the narrator, right. the milk toast guy who became the hero, the, um, um, the Russian, the, the Russian or the German or whatever he was, uh, <laughs> and so on. It's terrific that you've got these guys all different from wa- different walks of life who finally, by the end, are joined together as a team. But if not for the fact that he explains, the narrator explains, that the Chloro uh, people consider any group of people together as like a family unit, that might not have happened. I think he planted a seed uh, explaining that the Chloro will consider us as a family unit, they become that at the end. I, I, don't, I don't know if I'm explaining that effectively, but I think that um, they might not have joined forces as no, readily.
5: I, no, I agree if they with They hadn't
4: you. had that in, in their minds that the Chloro considered them that. So they used right. that to and, take advantage of it, but also they became that in truth by the end of the program. And what I
3: got a kick out of is the, the guy who was narrating, was since he had experience with the Chloros, he was like they're not as bad as you think. They're not just savages; they're they're gentlemen in their own right, just like we're gentlemen in our own right. And the Russians wouldn't hear any of these yeah. savages, you know. <laughs> yeah. But yet, if you, every time the chloros <coughs> came in, it wasn't like up against the wall, you bastards, you know. It was they came in like gentlemen, you know. It's like, is them there anything we can do for you? Is yes. there anything you need? Yeah, I like you know, that so, a lot. Yeah, I mean, that was a really nice take on uh, aliens, because usually they are played as savages and everything. You know, we're only here to destroy you. So it was nice having that take on them, you know. And no and all the dialogue there was with the Chloros, none of it was so much antagonistic or anything.
4: No, not at all. Yeah, and that's what I, I like that part of it. Another uh, uh, thing you said where they didn't trust the Chloros, they also cast suspicion on the narrator because he had lived with them. So it's a sort of a time because this is the fifties, you know, it's a, the yeah, late fifties, the communist scare, the cold war is going on. All of these things are tying in. So that you you get the idea that it's um, a parallel to communist sympathizers going on in the United States in modern t- in in current times or contemporary times there with the fifties and so on. So I got that kind of flavor of he's a, a, a chloro-sympathizer, or what do they call him, a greenie lover or something like that? <laughs> I can't
5: recall exactly, but yeah, it was don't, some, yeah, something I like mean, that. I don't yeah. recall that one. Uh,
4: so um, that was really interesting. And, and, and it, it ties in with movies of the time as well. In the 50s, most of the science fiction films that came out were allegories of what was going on in the world in the 50s. Mm -hmm. and so this also tied in with that pretty nicely i thought
5: i think by modern standards a lot of that social commentary might come off as a little heavy-handed but i thought it would it worked really nicely in this i I thought they they brought it out right at the beginning of the story so you knew it wasn't just going to be good guys v bad guys it was going to be a little bit more nuanced than that even though i did find it a little bit funny that the uh the, the aliens were called chloros that they breathe chlorine it just seemed a little uh yeah, I, I, maybe I'm maybe I'm too modern and jaded. It just seemed a little, uh, <laughs> no, A little easy
3: it, of a it, name seemed, it. seemed
5: it seemed very. Uh, if you've read a lot of like golden age science fiction, it seemed very like uh, what was that editor's name, Horace Gold or Horace Green? It very much seemed like an early like Astounding Stories uh, sort of uh, science fiction tale. So oh, yeah, it, well, it, it didn't take me out of the story too much, but I, I did uh, I did kind of smirk at that a little bit. Now it so. may have been the
4: fact only that. Earth people called them chloros, but the chloros call themselves something else. Sure, right? <laughs> because, they might you know, call like, us airthers because yeah. we breathe air <laughs> yeah. oxygenators. You oxygenators, you. <laughs>
5: Everybody likes a good shortcut, I suppose. Yeah. So, uh, but keep that's,
4: it, that's keep it interesting... simple, especially back in those days. So that way, it's easier for people to follow. Yeah.
5: Right. Sure.
4: That's an interesting point because if you have, have ever read the Edgar Rice Burroughs Mars novels we call them martians but on mars they call themselves barsoomians because their planet is barsoom and the um the earth is jasoom or something like that they all end with s o o m so it's one of those things that uh like like paul said it's a shortcut so I um, I didn't get thrown out of the store. I didn't even think about it. I just thought chloros. Are they saying? <laughs> I just wondered how it was spelled. <laughs> that's that's the only thing <laughs> I came up. How do you spell that? Hmm. <laughs> but the cast was fantastic. The storyline itself. I agree with Paul that uh, the the production values were really good, and and the recording was fantastic. I listened to two different recordings that I got from YouTube, and um, there were no obvious surface scratches or, um, right. um, hiccups or broken record sounds, anything like that. Mm-hmm. So really, really good transcription. And by this time, 1956, a lot of shows were transcribed. They were, uh, pre-recorded. That's, that was their word for pre-recorded was transcribed. And so you would have that decent recording to begin with because they sent it out to they. the, Put it on on a on a platter and put a needle on it and played it. So they probably had um, that extra copy um, or that very good recording to begin with.
5: Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I, I have noticed over the years I've listened to um, quite a lot of X minus one and the predecessor was uh, Dimension X. Right. And I, I don't think I've ever heard of, um, heard one that sounded be- poor um, in terms of the audio quality. So. I wasn't aware that these were pre-recorded. I guess that just hadn't occurred to me.
4: A lot of times you you might hear they'll give it away in the introduction. Like if you're listening to X minus one, you hear um, just somebody will might say transcribed or the following is a transcribed adventure or something like that. That just means pre-recorded. And okay. there was a law. There was there was a law in uh, the FCC that shows needed to be produced live for some reason. I don't know why they just didn't, they didn't want their audiences to miss out on, on that spontaneity of a live program. I really don't sure. know, but eventually they convinced the FCC to let them uh, pre-record stuff.
5: There's a great, not to digress too much, but there's a great uh, clip from Johnny Carson's show in the seventies with Orson Wells, where he talks about that. He talks about how Radio in the early days had to be performed live by law, and as you mentioned, uh, I guess at some point they decided the networks convinced the the federal government that that didn't need to be the case. So yeah. I guess I'm curious if, if you happen to know like how they were able to do that or if it was a long process or whether it was more or less an overnight decision.
4: I think it was a long process. They had to be convinced, okay. and, and maybe they did some research about it, but I don't have any definite uh, okay. information on that. I know that Bing Crosby played a big part of it because he um he liked his uh golf time and liked his relaxing time and he wanted to be able to record a number of shows at once and mm. when he discovered the the Ampex tape recorder, sank a lot of money into it so that he could pre-record his shows. And because he did it, because he insisted on pre-recording the shows and because he was a big enough star, it was star power definitely the network he worked for nbc i think it was finally relented and then convinced the government but that's just a guess okay. on my part hmm. and we did digress but you know i'm famous for my digressions <laughs> <laughs> yeah he is <laughs> if you could see my if you could see me listeners you'd see all my plaques for uh, uh, awards for my digressions <laughs> Uh, famous, but uh, anybody else uh, have anything? Um, anything to add? Any other
5: comments on the show itself?
4: Well, oh, go I'll ahead. go ahead. No,
5: no, 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 go no go you,
4: you're the new guy.
3: Go ahead.
5: I'll, I'll, okay. All I was going to say was I didn't have anything, so. Oh, <laughs> okay.
3: Well, in that case, well, I was going to just say a couple things. Like um, you were saying about it being during the Cold War and everything. <clears throat> what I liked is uh, when they asked him about. Well, Aren't you a patriot, man? And he said, well, "What he's a patriot for is truth. You know, that's what he follows is truth. You know, he right. didn't say, you know, I'm for Earth, I'm for the chloros. He essentially just said, I, you know, whatever the truth is, which is actually, you know, a little on the edgy side for the fifties.
5: Yeah, I think that's one thing that um, kind of holds up about these fifties radio science fiction shows is that a lot of them, while they were at their heart, just adventure stories. A lot of them were basically uh, space Westerns, you know, not to be too um, derisive, but uh, most of them, even the ones that just fall into that category, did have a little bit of uh, social commentary that I think people, even modern listeners, can appreciate. And I think there was a lot of commonalities between the social commentary, between the B-movies of the time and, and a lot of the science fiction radio shows at the time in terms of uh, Cold War. What's the word? Pete used it earlier. Category. All, yeah cold war allegories and um you know and sort of uh messages of i suppose just trying to uh
4: they're trying to relate they're trying
5: yeah, to just, the current event yeah, just a message of trying to relate to human beings writ large and not purely on uh i guess national terms
4: mm-hmm. absolutely now x minus one itself has a huge following even now and was a pretty popular show in its day uh because it treated the listener. Like an adult, it wasn't like uh, Commander Cody of the Space Patrol, right. where you know you send in your box tops and you get your decoder ring and things like that, and you got to drink your Ovaltine and all that sort of thing. The shows were were, were based on modern science fiction from pulp magazines. They were um, smart. They were um, written for uh, for adventure's sake, of course, but it wasn't. Like the uh, typical cliffhanger Saturday morning serials uh, of right. of olden days, so that's why people enjoy it even now because they were smart, they were well done, and they were they were on an adult level for listenership. So that was it was an excellent show. Dimension X, like you said, David, before uh, was the forerunner, and when they created X minus one, they recycled a lot of those scripts for right. the new series but remade them. They didn't uh, just use the old recordings. Mm -hmm. And that was a good practice really to uh, recreate it and get a new cast to put a different spin on things. Well, that's it for me. If if anybody else got anything else to add to uh, our commentary, we might be ready to vote. Are we ready? Let's take a look at that. Uh, What are we voting on dear listener? As reminder, we're voting on a, whether this particular episode is a true representative installment of the overall series and two, whether or not it is a standalone show that belongs in every radio aficionado's collection. And again, Paul, since this was your selection, please go first. Well, what
3: can I say? I I have to like it. It was my pick. (laughs) Uh, i well put it this way. I should like it because it was my pick, but that hasn't always panned out in the past with us.
4: Um, Remember uh, that uh, Lights Out episode that Jane chose. (laughs) Exactly. And Jane, if you're listening, (laughs) we'll never let you live that doubt.
3: I am sticking the knife into you now and the blood will come out of the hole. (laughs) (laughs) Always good stuff. there. This is one of those times that uh, I did pick it and I did like it. And it's like, the more I listened to it, the more I liked it. Like I said, the the writing was excellent. Isaac Asimov. The sound quality was excellent. And it just really holds up. You know, what they're trying to say wasn't something that was just for that year to where you listen to it now and you go I have no idea what they're talking about the uh-huh. themes that they were representing are pretty much universal and it was well very just very well done so I give
4: it a big thumbs up excellent David what do you think
5: I definitely think it's representative of X minus one It pretty much in every regard it's a great adventure story as I've mentioned a couple times it has that social commentary that a lot of 50s science fiction was known for um, my own personal metric for, I guess, whether it should belong in a private collection or not is subjective. I, as much as I like this, I don't know that I would listen to it again. I don't know that it holds up to repeated viewing or repeated listens, rather, as well as a lot uh, some other Dimension X and X-1s episodes that I've heard. But it's a really enjoyable story, and I, I would recommend anyone who likes old-time radio to check it out.
4: Okay, great. Well, I agree with both of you. It's a terrific story, taught, well done moves along very quickly. There's not too much science to get in the way, but there's just enough to make it sound authentic. Uh, the C chute is, C stands for casualty. Uh, if somebody dies on a space journey, they don't obviously have a refrigerator to put them in, so they drop them, <laughs> they drop him through the chute. And they, so that was something that uh, was available for them to Kind of uh, uh, save the day, take over, and and capture the ship. Really clever on how they made the the milk toast, the the hero, and so on. So I do believe that it is a, a representative installment of X minus one in terms of story and the presentation, the quality of the of the acting, and so on. Really top notch all the way around. And I would say that it belongs in most Aficionados collections because of the author, if nothing else. You know, Isaac Asimov, famous science fiction author. You want to have him in your collection just to, to uh, show it. And I do believe I will disagree slightly with David in that it does hold up to repeated listenings for me because I listened to it three times and caught something new mm. every time in preparation for today's show. I, I listened to it. Three times to get all the details that I could, and and found something that I'd missed the the previous time. That oh, really good, you know, because when you're listening to a half hour program, an hour long program, you you tune out occasionally, uh, you get distracted, squirrel by by something, <clears throat> and then you come back to it. So repeated listenings helps you understand the story, uh, definitely. So I did enjoy it. So I vote. Uh, Yes, for both of our particular categories. So that's uh, three votes for representative installment and two votes for belongs in the uh, radio aficionado. aficionado. I always have trouble with that word, aficionado. I'm going to change that to something else. What's a good synonym for aficionado? Mm, Hmm. Synonym toast. (laughs) A radio cinnamon toast collection. Very good. I like that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> All right, well good, good, good. so um, old time
3: radio collectors- co- collection. now that's silly <laughs> okay, great. This brings us to the end of episode eleven of Old time Radio Essentials with David Feldman, Pete Lutz, and me, Paul RBC. next time the cycle comes around to David and David for your first selection, what are you bringing us?
5: For next time, I'm selecting an episode of the Quiet Please series called Tanglefoot. It takes place in Pete's hometown of Pekin, Illinois. And it's about a man and his pet fly
4: <laughs> <laughs> That sounds like Pekin yeah Paul's from Peoria right next door, so oh cool, yeah, okay, good. well, we're definitely looking forward to that. I'm a huge fan of Quiet please, uh not only because Willis Cooper. Uh, hailed from my hometown because I enjoyed it before I found out. I I was listening to to the show before I found that out. So I'm really looking forward to that, and that is next month on Old Time Radio Essentials. Paul, David, tell the masses what they need to know.
3: Old Time Radio Essentials is a production of 63 Audio, a proud member of the Mutual Audio Network. Find us at www.mutualaudionetwork.com www.NoradaRadio.Lipson.com on iTunes under Mutual Audio Network and or Narada Radio Company and on any podcatcher that you may happen to use.
5: Like us on Facebook at Mutual Audio Fans and at Narada Radio Company Fans and Friends. On Twitter at Essentials Old. If you want to suggest a future episode, write us at F6.3 at gmail.com. That's the letter F, the number six, the word point, P-O-I-N-T, and the number three at gmail.com. Put the word essentials in the subject line.
4: And I want to let you all know that with David's selection next month, that will mark the end of our first season. Help us. Sec- holy help us- holy crap. Yeah. <laughs> Help us celebrate a successful year of Old Time Radio Essentials by sending us an email or writing a review. Anyone who sends an email with a suggestion or a constructive comment will be mentioned in a future podcast and may be eligible for some nifty tokens of our appreciation. If you didn't catch our email when David spelled it out, look for it in the show notes. And that's it for now, friends. Join us next time for another fun installment of Old Time Radio Essentials. Bye-bye for now.
3: See you later.
4: later. Los (laughs) Padonia. You are. (laughs) You are not true Earthman. They killed my brother. I am going to kill you now. You are dirty rat. You killed my brother. (laughs) If James Cagney was Russian, James Cagney (laughs) Yasky. Wait a minute. 63 audio. This is Mutual.
1: Have high medical costs got you down? Well, say goodbye to high medical bills. Introducing the doctor in a box kit. Everything you need to diagnose and treat your medical problems all in one box. First, there's a diagnosis software for your computer. Just type in your symptoms and you get a diagnosis. Coughing
0: and sneezing. You have a cold. Take two aspirin and get plenty of rest.
1: There's even a setting for you hypochondriacs.
0: Coughing and sneezing. You have the Ebola virus. Take two aspirin and get plenty of rest. And
1: should you need an operation? The doctor in a box kit includes everything you need to do it yourself. Take scalpel, ah, and cut along. Ooh, dotted line. Ooh, ah, ah. You can operate on yourself, and you can suit yourself. <laughs> the doctor in a box kit, only five ninety nine ninety nine. Not sold in stores because of the AMA, DEA, FBI, CIA, and WHO. Save on doctors' bills now and impress your friends. Hey, you're looking better, Bob. Who did the amputation? Why, I did it, my. <laughs> doctor in a box. Bob? Now there is a doctor in the house. Oh, Bob.
7: The Mutual Audio Network. Listening and imagining together.